I said earlier there are two sides to revival. There's the brokenness side and the joy side. Everybody loves the joy side of revival, but until we walk through the brokenness side, we don't get to experience the the really joy that God has for us. And so I want you to know that we're going to walk through a process in these days, and there are two sides. We're going to get to the joy side, but I hope that you'll you'll walk with us um, all the way through. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell. It tells now who God dwells with. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also. There's a contrite and broken spirit, to revive the heart of the contrite ones, to revive the spirit of the broken ones. God revives a broken heart. Are you even in a condition to meet God in revival? Here's the premise of what I want to share with you tonight. You will not meet God in revival until you first meet him in brokenness. And we don't really like that. The Psalm or, or the prophet Isaiah also said in Psalm in Isaiah 66, verse 2, he says, To this one will I look. Who does God look to? To him who is humble of a contrite spirit and who trembleth at my word. That, that's not the way most of us are. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. I love the way one translation puts it. Psalm 34, 18. If your heart is broken, God will find you there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Isn't that great? If your heart is broken, God will find you there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. And and God is looking for us to be willing to look to him in the midst of those difficult situations. Now, when we talk about brokenness, I think we have a, a, a kind of a wrong perspective of brokenness. When we think about being broken, we think of, you know, our car's broken, or, you know, we have a broken leg, or, or that kind of thing. And that, that's not the kind of brokenness I'm talking about. I, I, I love uh, reading this because it, it so describes uh, some of our life scenarios at times. But th- this guy wrote a letter. This is not the right brokenness we're talking about, but he wrote a letter to an insurance company. They had asked him to explain how his accident took place before they paid his claim. He wrote back and said, Dear sir, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause for my accident. You said in the letter I should explain more fully. I trust the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed the work, I discovered I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the brick down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went to the roof, swung out the barrel, loaded the brick into it, went back down to the ground, untied the rope, holding it tightly to secure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of brick. You'll note in block three, or number 11 of the accident form, I weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind, and I forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I meant the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowly, slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep in the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind, and I was able to hold tightly the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of brick hit the ground, and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of brick, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you to my weight back in block number 11. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. 
In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the empty barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations on my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell on the pile of brick, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the bricks, in pain, unable to stand, watching the empty barrel six stories above, I again lost my presence of mind, and I let go of the rope. Okay, now that, that guy, um, that guy was broken, all right? I understand that. But, but, but that, that is not the kind of brokenness that I want to talk about tonight. You know, there are some things you can't bring into existence. They have to be broken into existence. You, you can't make an omelet. You have to break an omelet into existence. You, you can't make an oak tree. An oak tree is broken into existence. That, that acorn falls in the ground and dies. And, and when that acorn is broken open, then the life inside can be released. And, and no one can make revival happen. It has to be broken into existence. The fact is, broken people are God's most cherished resource when it comes to revival. God looks for brokenness. He begins revival there. In God's eyes, broken things are not to be discarded, but they're to be treasured and held on to. And for brokenness to take place, there has to be a loss. Brokenness comes out of loss. But out of that loss can be incredible gain. There, it may be the loss of reputation or the loss of health or the loss of status, the loss of relationships, the loss of money. But when God wants to do a new thing, he looks for a truly broken person. A broken person is a, is a bereaved person. There's, there's been some kind of a death. Now, now, bereaved people are not necessarily broken people because loss can, can be embraced in a number of different ways many of which have nothing to do with brokenness. When you lose something or someone precious to you, there is a number of responses you can have. One is you can become bitter. That, that happens to a lot of people. Something is, happens to them, and, they, and when you get bitter about a circumstance or something you've lost, it just proves you've not really been broken by that loss. Or you can become self-reliant. You start saying, I can handle this. I, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I, I can do this. But, but self-reliance when calamity comes only reveals you've not really been broken by that calamity. Or we get self-pitying. All we want to do is talk about how, how bad things are. And, and, and self-pity just reveals you've not really been broken by that experience. Or you can allow that loss to bring about true brokenness in your life. I like A.W. Tozer, and he, uh, he wrote a prayer. I, I wish I could say that I'm living this, and every time I, I, I read it, I'm convicted. But Tozer said this. Here's his prayer. Oh, God, I hereby give myself to you. I give my fame. I give my business. I give all that I possess. Take all of it, Lord, and take me. If I give myself in such measure that it's all that is necessary, that I lose everything for you and for your sake, let me use it, lose it. And he said, if I could find 300 people that would pray that prayer, it would influence the entire world. But, but, but the problem is, we don't live that way. We, we, don't, we don't say that. We, we, don't, we don't do it. He said, he said, I will ask not what the price is. I will only ask that I may be all that I ought to be as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. Man, man I want to live there. I want that to be my prayer. 
But the fact is, um, I, I struggle with this. So, so, so my question tonight for you is, is, is are you broken? You know, I think we've kind of changed words. We, we used to talk about being surrendered and broken. Now we talk about being committed. I'll commit to God, you know, 10% of my offering or, or my income or, or, or 10% of my time or I'll commit to God an hour on Sunday morning. And, and we've lost the, the, the real thrust of what it means to be broken and surrendered and, and, and to fall in humility before God. I don't, I don't think we know much about that, actually. Elizabeth Elliot said this, if my life when given to Jesus, if my, if my life is broken when given to Jesus, it's because pieces will feed a multitude while a loaf satisfies only a little lad. So, so, so where are you in that process? Turn, turn to Luke chapter 20, if you would. Luke chapter 20. I want us to look at a couple of verses here and um, stand together with me for a moment. We're going to look at just a couple of verses. Luke chapter 20. This is um, verse 17. We're going to jump down, and, and Jesus looks at them. It's a, a quote now uh, from, from Psalm 118. He says this, what is in this written? And he quotes now Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. In the Old Testament, it was predicted that when, when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came on the scene, that, that he was going to be a rock of offense, a stumbling stone, that they were going to reject the, the very person who was the answer to their prayer. And Jesus said, this prophecy is, is, is come true. Here I am. I am the cornerstone of the faith, but you're, you're rejecting the, the most important stone of the arch of the building. And then he says this in verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone, that's him, will be broken. There are two options here in verse 18. Option number one, you fall voluntarily in brokenness on the rock Christ Jesus. Option two, but on whomsoever it falls, it will grind him into powder and scatter him like dust. So the question tonight is this, will you be broken or will you be crushed? It's a lot better to fall on the rock than for the rock to fall on you. Father, would you just take uh, these next moments and help us to willingly voluntarily fall in brokenness on the rock Christ Jesus. We'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Will you be broken or will you be crushed? But what does it mean to, to fall on the rock? It, it means to humble yourself. It, it means to become honest, transparent, repentant. The, the problem is we're unwilling to make a, a desperate act to get to Jesus. I mean, who wants to be broken? Who wants to be, we, we want to surrender. I mean, seriously, we, we live in this doggy dog world. You gotta claim your rights. If you don't, people are gonna run over you. We, we want comfort and convenience and control. We don't wanna be broken of our self in charge, of, of having our own way. But God, if you're, if you're one of God's children, if, if you don't voluntarily fall on the rock in love and mercy, he'll fall on you. My, uh, my, my best friend in high school was a guy named Dave. We, um, we double dated together. We were president, vice president of the youth group together. And, uh, we, we, I grew up in Oregon and we were into, uh, mountain climbing and backpacking and we'd go up on the weekends, camp out and sleep in the stars and, and whatever. And, um, got out of high school and, and I stayed in Oregon, went to Bible college. He went down to Southern California, went to Bible college and we kind of lost track of each other. Years later, I'd come to Life Action and, and, and uh, we were in a meeting here in, er, down south in Indiana and, um, and God convicted me that there's some things that Dave and I had done when we were in high school, pranks we had pulled and so forth. And I wasn't a good influence on Dave. 
And he wasn't a good influence on me either, but that wasn't the, that wasn't the issue. God was just saying, Steve, you need to call Dave and ask him for not being a, a better Christian friend, a better example to him, and, and just ask him to forgive you. I, I hadn't seen Dave in years. But I, I, his dad was a professor at Oregon State University, so I called Corvallis, Oregon, where we grew up, and, and I, I got information, and I got his uh, parents' phone number, and I called the house, and his mom answered the phone, and I said, this is Steve Canfield. Um, do you know where Dave is? She said, yes, he's right here. That's great. So, so Dave got on the phone, and um, we kind of caught up a little bit, and and uh, and I and, and, and I said, Dave, here's here's the deal. Um, when we were in high school, I was just not the example of Christ I needed to be to you, and God's doing some great things in my life, and I, I just want to ask you, uh, would you please forgive me for not you know representing Christ better and for for not leading you and being a better friend to you and 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 and, and so forth, and shared a couple things, and he said yes, and you've forgiven, and. And they said, Steve, did you hear what happened to me? I said, no. David had gone to school in Southern California and got himself and got involved in an outward bound program leading pack trips up in the Sierra Nevadas in Southern California. And, and he said, some of the guys in our group wanted to climb, um, Mount Denali. Now, the, there's, there's a lot of mountains, um, in the, in the West are a lot different than mountains here, uh, in, in, in Michigan, uh, Indiana. Um, in case you didn't know that, uh, do you know what the highest point in Indiana is? Anybody know? Highest point in Indiana? It's someplace around Muncie, Indiana, and it's like 1,200 feet. That's the highest point. The highest point in Michigan, you know what that is? It's somewhere up in the UP. It's like 1,900 feet. It's just like a little, you can walk up in a moment, you know, and, 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 and they call those mountains. In, but if you've been out west and, and you've seen real mountains, then you understand there's a vast difference. Mount McKinley um, in Southern California is like 14,000 feet. That's, that's a little bit different. Things are different at those elevations. Mount Denali, uh, which, which in, in, uh, is in, in Alaska, 10 of the 10 tallest mountains in North America um, are, are, in, are in Alaska. And the tallest one is about 20,000 feet, and, and uh, it's called, it's changed names now, but it's Mount Denali. And, Denali and, and anyway, so his guys wanted to climb this mountain. Well, you have to train to climb and to breathe differently at 20,000 feet than you do you know, here in, in, in Michigan or, or even at, at the top of a mountain in, in, in the States. And so they trained, and, and he said, we, we went on this trip, went to Alaska, started climbing this mountain. It wasn't a great day to start with, but he said, by the time we got on the way up, a, a storm kind of came in, and it, it's just, you, you can't breathe when you get that high. I mean, it's just, it's a whole different experience. And, and he said, most of the guys that started, they, they, they couldn't do it. But there's one guy who said, listen, we've come here. We're going to do this. And so he and I made it to the top, 20,000 feet. He says, we started back down, an unexpected blizzard rolled in. It was a whiteout. It's where the snow is blowing so fast you can't see your hand in front of your face. We're having one of those next week, I hear. But, you know, uh, um, anyway, and, and, uh, and he said, Steve, we, we couldn't go anyplace. And so my, my friend Dave is an expert woodsman, and so he knew what to do. And he dug out a snow cave and put this guy in, and he crawled in behind him, pulled the snow down because night had come, and they spent the night there on the mountain. By the time the storm blew over the next day and rescuers got to him, David saved this guy's life just by his skills. And, and, and Dave said, but by the time they got to us, frostbite had set in. He's the Steve, I lost all my fingers and all my toes to frostbite. Now, here's what happened. Dave said to me, when I got out of college, I was going to go to seminary. But I thought, you know, I've worked myself up in this Outward Bound program, and, and I'll just, I'll, I, I may get that someday, but I'm just going to do this for a while. And, and so rather than do what, what God had asked him to do, he just decided to 
play around mountain climbing for a while. There's nothing wrong with mountain climbing. But, but he, he went his way instead of God's way. He said, Steve, I lost all my fingers, the front half of both of my feet. I just got out of the hospital. He said it was six months ago. I just got out of the hospital. They made me some artificial feet. I'm, I'm learning to walk all over again. I said, what, what are you going to do now? He said, well, I've enrolled at Dallas Theological Seminary. I plan to start there in the fall. I remember I was in a pastor's office in Auburn, Indiana, when I was made that call. I, I got off the phone. I got down on my knees, and I just said, God, I'm, I'm listening to you. You don't have to shout. You don't have to yell. So that, that was a horrible thing for God to allow in Dave's life. It wasn't a horrible thing. Dave could have gone the rest of his life, and, and one day God had said, what did you do with your life? He said, climb a lot of mountains. Yeah, boy, what did you do with Jesus? Climb a lot of mountains. You know, one day God's going to give Dave some new hands, some new feet. He's going to have something to offer in those hands and feet. And God in his love and mercy fell on Dave. But it's a lot better for you to fall voluntarily on the rock. Now, again, we need to define this whole thing of brokenness because brokenness is not an emotion. I'm not talking about having a good cry. Brokenness is an act of your will. It is a choice. Here's a definition of brokenness that I think we'll use. Brokenness is a humble and obedient response to the conviction of God's Spirit. You can have brokenness without tears, and you can have tears without brokenness. I, I, I know a guy who, I, he's one of the most godly men I know. I have never seen him cry. He's one of the most broken men I've ever met. I know other people who can cry at, 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 at anything, and yet their life does not represent brokenness. Brokenness is a humble, obedient response to the conviction of God's Spirit. Brokenness is a choice. And, and until we come to a point of brokenness in our life, we are never going to have the relationship of intimacy that God wants. Now, I'm going to tell you tomorrow night how, when you get squeezed, Jesus can come out. But, but you're not going to get to that point tomorrow night as we talk about grace until, first of all, we deal with coming to the end of ourselves. You're not going to have what God wants for you until you let go of what you want for you. Why, why aren't we broken? Why do we live in such a culture where there is so little brokenness in the church today? I think there's a number of reasons. I think, one, we have not seen the offensiveness of our sin. The team just said, lead me to the cross. We've not seen how offensive our sin is because we compare our sin to somebody else's. We say, well, compared to that church, our church is pretty good. Compared to that family, compared to that marriage, you can always find someone that's in deeper difficult situations than you are, and we haven't seen the offensiveness of our sin, and as a result of that, we've compared to a lower standard. The standard is not another family, another church. This is the standard. This is the bar that God sets, and we try to find someone worse off than us and feel pretty good about ourselves. I think we've compared ourselves to a lower standard, something other than what God says. And then the, the fact is, we don't have very many examples of brokenness. I was in a church in Dallas-Fort Worth area, a Christian school of about 1,000. The church was 1,000, Christian school of about 400, and I was doing chapel one day. I said to the students, and I said, well, what was Jesus like anyway? Let's, let's make a list, take out a piece of paper. I want you to write down the qualities of Jesus. I had them write down. They gave them to me. About 15 things they came up with. Jesus was powerful, and, and he was full of mercy, and he was loving. We, we listed 15 things. And I said, I want you to write the name out to this side of someone you know whose life embodies that quality of Jesus. 
I wanted to think through who their heroes were. I was just doing an exercise. And I had them turn them in the mail and to see who their heroes were. And in this school of 400, church of, of 1,000, 12 staff members, they had names for the side of power and, and names out the side of trustworthy and names out the side of love. But not one student in 400 wrote down the name of another person out to the side of the characteristic of humble and broken. They couldn't think of one humble, broken person in a church of a thousand. Not a parent, not a Christian school teacher, not a staff member. If I had the students here make a list of all the humble, broken people they know, would your name be on that list? We don't have many examples of that. This is mean some time ago, and I shared a few things similar to this, and one of our team members' dad was in the service, and he came to me afterwards, and he said, you know, Steve, he's a great big guy towered over me. He said, if you came to my church, if you asked my church, anybody in my church, does Brother Joe know the Bible? They say, Brother Joe knows the Bible. If anybody has questions about the scripture, they come talk to Brother Joe. They kind of hung his head. He said, if you were to ask the people in my church, is Brother Joe broken? They'd say no. But we got a lot of people that have a lot of information, but not brokenness. Now, now, there is one great example of brokenness here in Scripture. Turn back a few pages to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is this, the passage has the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Probably the most famous story in the, Old Test- in the New Testament, other than the stories of Christ, is the, the parable of the prodigal son. And you know the story. A man had two sons, and verse 11, one says, give me my inheritance now. He didn't want to wait till his dad was dead. He wanted to have it now. So his dad does that. His son gathers his stuff, goes on a journey to a distant country, and there he squanders all of his money in riotous, loose living. Well, while that's happening, everything is spent. Now a famine comes, and he tries to get a job, verse 15. The only job he can find, the ultimate insult for a Jewish boy, he gets a job feeding the pigs. And he was so destitute, he was so down, verse 16, he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods of swine reading, and no one is giving him anything to eat. The rock fell on him. He's in the pig pen at his lowest point. Now, now the steps he went through to brokenness are the same steps we need to go through, but don't wait till you get in the pig pen. Do this voluntarily. Here's what he did. Verse 17, he came to his senses. He got honest about his life. He began to realize, I, I am, I'm in trouble here. I am a mess. I've lost everything. I, I, all, I, all I'm doing now is feeding the pigs. He got honest. You have to come to the reality that you have a need for brokenness. Take your little book now and turn, if you would, with me to page number 60. I'm not going to walk through all of these. but This is a great exercise. Maybe you can do this before you go to bed tonight. Walk through these and think through them individually. And I want to look at a few of them, though. I want you to check the one that best describes you. Let's go to number one. Proud people focus on the failures of others. Broken people overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Which one of those best describes you? Look at number three. Proud people are self-righteous and look down on others. Broken people esteem all others as better than themselves. That's the respect Jimmy was talking about tonight. Look at number five. Proud people have to prove that they are right. Broken people are willing to yield their right to be right. Are you the person that always has to be right? 
always has to win every argument. Remember when, when Debbie and I were newly married, or we had, a, we had a few kids at the time, I guess, and we were uh, living at the camp down there in Buchanan, and it was, it was winter time. And, and every time we were to go someplace, Debbie would say to the boys, we had three little boys, she would say, now, boys, put your coat on. We don't want to catch a cold. Now, now, I was a science minor in college, and so I, I went to her and I said, honey, you don't catch a cold by not wearing a coat. You catch a cold because there are germs, a virus, bacteria, there's all this stuff, and when that stuff enters in your body, that's how you get sick. It's not by not wearing a coat. I don't mind you telling them to wear a coat, but don't tell them that's how they catch a cold because that's not correct. She said, okay. Well, so next time we go someplace, she said, boys, put your coat on, don't catch a cold. I said, honey, I thought we talked about that. She said, well, my mom taught me that. Well, mom knows more than everybody, right? And so, um, and and it was just kind of a, it was frustrating to me. And she would always say, put your coat on, you're going to catch a cold. And and, and finally, it was just so frustrating. And when I said, and God said, Steve, what is the deal? Why are you so upset about this? Because I'm right. And God said, so what? And I realized it was just a point of pride because I knew I was right, and I was going to make sure she knew it. And I, I realized that was just pride. And so, so you know, here's the deal. If Debbie's cold, well, wear coats. It, it's, it's easier that way, you know. But, but think about this. Here you are as a husband and wife. It's late at night. You're sitting there. You get in an argument. And, and you, you as a husband, you know that you're right. And you're going to make sure before you go to bed, your wife knows that you're right. Listen to this. If you win the fight, you go to bed with a loser. Think about that for a minute. Much better to lose the fight. Okay. <laughs> look over at, uh, look at, look at number, um, number 20. You, you go through these on your own, but look at number 20 with me. Proud people find it difficult to share their spiritual needs with others. When was the last time you went to somebody and just said to them, would you pray for me? I, I, I've, got, I've got some needs in my life. Some of you have never done that. A a proud person finds that real difficult. A broken person, number 20, is willing to be open and transparent with others as God directs. Look at number 29. Proud people, number 29, don't think they have anything to repent of. Broken people realize they have a continual heart attitude need of repentance. Look at number 30. Proud people don't think they need revival, but they're sure everyone else does. They're not here tonight because they don't need this. A broken person continually senses their need for a fresh encounter with God and a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to really do business with God this week, and sometime tonight, sometime tomorrow when you have some time, walk through all of those and check those and just say, God, would you show me where I'm really at? So, so here, here this young boy is sitting in this pig pen. He came to himself. And then verse 18, he said, I will arise. He didn't sit in the service. No one's saying just as I am 20 times. He's in a pig pen. Brokenness is not an emotion. It is a choice of your will. I will arise. Brokenness is something you choose to do. And you can choose to do it before the rock falls. You choose to do it voluntarily. But you can choose to do it before or after, but it's better to do it before. I will arise, he says, and I will go to my father, and I will say, Dad, you're sure, crummy father. Why'd you give me all that money? Is that what your version says? No, true brokenness causes us to confess and repent of our sins. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He wasn't making excuses. He wasn't being defensive. 
He wasn't saying, Dad, why'd you do that? And when you stop pointing the finger of blame at everyone else, listen, you may find people to excuse things about, but that's not the point. The point is you say, God, here's the issue of my life. I'm going to go to my dad. I have sin against heaven. I have sin in your sight. And, and here, here's the key to brokenness. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't strut in there and say, Dad, give me my room back. He came in and said, Dad, I don't even deserve to be called your son. I don't even deserve to be a hired servant. But if you could find it in your grace, just let me be a slave. That'd be more than I would deserve. Humility is an act of our will where we come and acknowledge where we're really at and not try to pray to all the things we think we deserve. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. If you could just make me as one of your hired men. Here's what I found. Openness before man is genuine proof of sincerity before God. See, see we don't mind every now and then letting God pulling the, the roof off our house and looking down into our life and make some adjustments, but we're not going to drop the walls. We're not going to go to another person and acknowledge that we have issues. Brokenness is not a one-time act. It has to be a lifestyle. Remember some years ago, we were... The boys were still on the road with us, and it was a Saturday night. And I was getting ready for a service the next day, and, and uh, you know they were all in one in the trailer of their room, and Debbie and I were at the other end, and then we have the living room in the middle. And so I was back there. I was studying. It got time to put them in bed, and so I put my pen down. I was in a hurry, and I went back there. I said, okay, guys, settle down now. We're going to pray uh, because you know I, I get it back to studying. And, and, and they, were, they had a lot of life, a lot of energy, and so they're kind of messing. I said, guys, listen, be quiet and pray. Real spiritual, right? And, and, and so, uh, so they saw, you know, dad's not happy. And, uh, and so, so they, they all prayed and, and I, and I prayed, went about as high as my nose. And I said, okay, now I want you to be quiet because I'm, I'm trying to get something done. So I want you to be quiet now. I went back up and sat down at my desk. And I'm sitting there studying away and the Spirit of God tapped me on the shoulder from the inside, lives inside of me. And, and I, I didn't hear a voice, but it, it was like he said, uh, Steve, I, I'm, I'm studying this minute. And I'm, so, he, he said, you might as well haven't preached tomorrow. So why not? So the way you handle that, you're going to go tell somebody else how to live? Dropped my pen, walked back in the room, said, flip, flip, flipped on the lights. Said, guys, okay, a few minutes ago, I came in here. I was in a hurry. I, I really didn't care about your prayers or my prayers. I was just trying to get it done because I needed. I was doing something. And that is, that is not what I want to communicate to you. And that is not like Jesus. And that was wrong. And please forgive me. Remember, I walked out of the room, and, and I flipped off the light, and we had bunks, and one of my sons grabbed my shoulder and said, Dad, would you forgive me for messing around? And now, why did he do that? Listen, our, our, our kids need to watch those things in our life, and it's not going to be a one-time moment. It, it's got to be a lifestyle. And, and, the, and the fact is, there's no brokenness where there is no openness, and if we're unwilling to, to drop our walls a little bit, I, I, I said the first day, if there's not a willingness to have transparent honesty with God and others as he directs, then we're just going to go on and, and have all of our knowledge and all of our teaching and skip over that obey component of discipleship. Know one truth, obey one truth, teach one truth. But we've skipped the obey because, because we, we want to operate from a position of power and authority. But Jesus operated from a position of poorness and brokenness and humility. And until we're willing to do that voluntarily, we're not going to go any farther with him. Now, 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 brokenness is not let's all just weep our way to an altar. It's fine to do that. But that, I think for many of us, that, that emotion lasts about till we get to the parking lot. 
Brokenness is a lifestyle. It's a choice. And I want to ask you to do a couple things tonight. I want you to ask you before you go to bed tonight or sometime before I meet tomorrow to walk through that exercise and, and go through each one of those and, 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 and ask God to show you where you're really at. And tonight I'm going to ask you to do something else. In a moment, I'm going to have all the ladies move to the south side of the auditorium and all the men move to the north side of the auditorium and give them one other person. Men with men, ladies with ladies. And I want to ask you just to share with each other one area of your life that's not like Jesus. Doesn't have to be some deep, dark secret, but just to choose a step in brokenness. Just to say, would you pray for me? I am not like Jesus in this area. And then the other person share, and the two of you pray with each other. Now, it doesn't have to be your best friend. You don't have to know him. Uh, just, just one area that you can identify and say, I am not like Jesus in this area. Would you pray for me? Now, if you're not comfortable with this, you can slip out. I understand. But, but, but if you're willing to do this, it's just a step in the process of brokenness. So let's all stand. And uh, ladies, you go south. Men, uh, you go north. And grab this next person, someone right around you, and just say, here's part of my life in the light, Jesus. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Ladies south, men north, grab somebody. Have a word of prayer with them.